Okay, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Uh, both those seen and unseen, today is 9-9, September 9, 2020. <clears throat> uh, Sutta Nipata episode 48. And today, continuing through Mahavaga, third chapter of Sutta Nipata, eighth sutta called Sala Sutta. Last week was Sela Sutta, and before was Sabya Sutta. This is a somewhat famous sutta, Sala Sutta, called the arrow. Sala means the ar- an arrow or a dart or a projectile that, that pierces. <clears throat> and Tanasaro's write-up is, Death and loss are inevitable, but is grief. And uh, this sutta um, is commonly um, recited, or is sometimes recited, at memorials or uh, funerals <clears throat> in Buddhist countries. I guess it would be Thailand and Sri Lanka and Burma. Uh, or it can be, or it has been, or sometimes it is. Uh, there's another sutta called Salata Sutta, which some people seem to confuse with this one, from, I think, Majjhima Nikaya, another basket of suttas, <clears throat> about pain and suffering, or basically saying, akin to death and loss, inevitable, but is grief, in the other sutta, there's some sense of pain and physical dis- discomfort is inevitable, but is suffering. Meaning Suffering meaning the elaborations in mind that are... Um, that we fall into or fashion and fabricate in response to uh, physical pain. Here it's a matter of uh, <clears throat> the grief, addressing the grief that we feel when a beloved or a loved one dies. And um, in the, from Wisdom Library, Wisdom Lib page, the write-up of Sala Sutta is the 8th Sutta of Mahavaga chapter of Sutta Nipata. Death is inevitable. Lamenting is therefore useless. Now, I'm not saying that. This is what <laughs> this uh, write-up from the commentaries leads the author of the page to write. Uh, and there's a... <clears throat> I would also will be addressing that because there's a value to... Uh, grieving and lamenting and to say it's useless I don't think is true because if it arises <laughs> um, it's um, karmically just or causally just and you know realistic obviously to grieve for the loss of a loved one or to um, elaborate in our mind what's going on when we have physical pain so uh, the suffering or the grieving that may be very harmful um, is akin to the um, elaborations in mind that also may be helpful or get to the point of harmful when there's physical pain. Um, it's almost like, in my view, which is a little bit different than what you'll see in the, in the two suttas that I'm going to read here. The main is Sala Sutta, but I'm going to read the um, a sutta associated with one of many women in the um, in the community of um, Buddhist lay people or lay people meaning Brahmins 
or people of northern India where Gautama was living and teaching, the many, one of the many women who had lost loved ones who came to Gautama. There's a whole, uh, uh, there, was a, there was a phenomenon uh, at the time, it seems, that many women particularly, but others, who had lost loved ones in, in war, in battle, in, by death, disease, in old age, uh, by accident, uh, by anything, came to Gautama for guidance, uh, for consolation. And he taught this uh, elements of the, the Sala Sutta. And so from Wisdom Library, again, they said, this, this is part of the teaching. Death is inevitable. Lamenting is therefore useless. The Sutta was preached in order to console a devout patron of the Buddha who, when his son died, starved for seven days, meaning he stopped eating. Uh, and that's where we get the connection to the other sutta, or the other case. The fourth link I sent, also from Wisdom Library, is of a woman who became an arahant, who was named Patakara or Patachara. Later her name was Patachara Teri. Teri is the female of Tera, Theravadan. <clears throat> uh, Tera means male elder, meaning a monk. Teri, uh, T-H-E-R-E, T-H-E-R-I, is the female form of Tara, meaning a female elder, nun, uh, or monastic. And the write-up, and this gets into, um, th this is the backstory to the other sutta that I want to read first, which is called um, Pancha Sata Patakara. Pancha Sata Patakara. Pancha is five, like Pancha Sila, five Sila of morality points. Pancha Sata, I think, means 500. The 500 of Patakara. And that's, that sutta is actually from a, a collection of verses or we could, they not be actually be called suttas, but they're called gata, gata like song. So this is the teri gata, songs of the elder nuns, as opposed to the tera gata, which is the songs, a section of the sutta nipata, or not the sutta nipata, sutta pitaka, <laughs> the, all the Pali suttas. There's a section of uh, elder monk songs and a section of elder nuns songs songs meaning their utterances of verses so uh pancha sata patakara uh is from chapter six uh groups of six verses from terigata and tanasaro's write-up is the soothing of grief or his titling of it from one person is the soothing of grief it's not the, the title, again, this is, you know, my quibblings about complaints about translation. Panchasata Patakara means Patakara's 500. That's it. And then if you want to use your mind, you ask, what does it mean? It's actually the song of Patakara to her 500 uh, followers or... Um, other monks and nuns who listen to her significantly, which are on the soothing of grief, grief, 
Tanisaro's write-up of that is, a mother conquers her grief over her son's death, quote, as he came, so he has gone, so what is there to lament? And the basis here is, I think, that not only will extended lamenting potentially go to harm for the grieving person, like the man who stopped eating after his son died, or, Pant- or Patakara herself, and I'll tell her story here, who um, nearly became insane, actually, after devastating loss of members of her family. Uh, when lamenting and grieving goes beyond a certain point, it becomes quite harmful. That's not their perspective, that's my perspective. The basic perspective here, from the Sala Sutta and uh, Panchasatta Patakara, the Patakara is 500, uh, is that since the loved one goes on, and, and as they came, so they go to another dimension. Even though we can't say that there's a solid self, there is a <laughs> apparently substantial sense of self that transmigrates, transmigration called reincarnation. Based on that view of reincarnation, the truth of that, I think, um, extended grieving or grieving and lamentation that goes beyond a certain point is unneeded and won't arise with the view of with a well-developed view of afterlife and reincarnation uh, lamentation and grief that in proper measure in some degree is healthy and beyond a certain point is unhealthy that's how I would parse it um, that the the harmful lamentation and grief going beyond the point of utility or helpfulness uh, won't happen or is less likely when one has the, a well-developed view of reincarnation or transmigration. Uh, what is there to lament or don't lose it because he or she goes on? And the story behind uh, Sata Patakara, Pancha or Patakara's 500, uh, the, the backstory is from Wisdom Library, as usual. Very interesting. And this is all the lead-up to reading Salasutta, which I think I can do today. It's not that long, it's not that complex, <clears throat> but um, today the, the, the focus is on um, Gautama's teaching anent death of a loved one and death in general, and again, I would uh, refine it to, for our understanding, where we have somewhat of a psychological sensitivity, sophistication, somewhat. Uh, the, gr- the, the healthy grieving and lamentation need not become dis- uh, dysfunctional and um, self-harming when we have a clear view of birth and death or afterlife, or reincarnation. And that's uh, partly, you know, why I think it's important to teach things like um, Astral City, No Solar, and Howard Storm's view of the future, and all of this. Um, Indeed, much of human life simply cannot be well understood and um, well met emotionally. We cannot meet this life well emotionally to some degree, in some cases, without spiritual or metaphysical understanding. So the story of Patakara Teri, as she became an Arahant later, 
uh, from Wisdom Library. So, Patakarateri, she was an Arahant, or she became completely and fully enlightened. She was the daughter of a banker of Savati, and when grown up, formed an intimacy with a servant. When her parents wished to marry her to a youth of her own rank, meaning an arranged marriage of another um, of her rank uh, in, the, in the caste system, she ran away with her lover and lived in a hamlet together. As the time for her confinement drew near, confinement, I think, means giving birth, she wished to return to her parents, but the husband, on various pretexts, put off the visit. One day, when she was out, she left a message with the neighbors and started for Savati. So against the husband's request, she's going to go back to the parents when she has to <clears throat> give birth. Her husband followed her, but on the way, she gave birth to a son, and they returned home, so they didn't go to the parents. The same thing happened when the second child was born, but soon after its birth, a great storm broke, and her husband went out, outside, to cut some sticks and grass in the jungle with which to make a shelter. He was bitten by a snake and died. So there she was twice prevented from returning to her parents. And, you know, she had a deep loving relationship with her parents, presumably. And um, uh, presumably a good relationship with her husband, or at least one in which it was grievous that he died. Then... <clears throat> Patakara, the wife, Patakara, spent the night in misery, lying on the ground, hugging her children. In the morning, she discovered her husband's body and started off to go to her parents. On the way, she had to cross a river, and because it was in flood, meaning at that time with the flooding, she could not carry both her children across at the same time. She therefore left the younger on some leaves on the bank and started wading across with the other, in midstream, she looked back and saw that a hawk swooped down and carried away her baby. In her excitement, <clears throat> she dropped the child she was carrying, and it was swept away by the flood. So now she's lost both children and her husband. Distracted, or in a very painful state of mind, <clears throat> she went on back towards Sabati to see her parents, but on the way she learned that the house in which her parents and brother lived had fallen on them in the night, and that they had been burnt on one pyre, meaning they um, died and were burnt, either in the house or as a ritual after. So they're all gone. So she lost her husband, then she lost her youngest child, then she lost her oldest child, then she lost her parents and her brother. Mad with grief, she wandered about in circles, <clears throat> and because as she circled around, her skirt cloth fell from her, she was called Patakara, cloak walker. Patakara, cloak walker, or walker in cloak, cloaked walker. I'm not sure what that, how that relates to her skirt falling off her. People drove her from their doors till one day she arrived at Jetawana, where the Buddha was preaching. The people around him tried to stop her from approaching. But the Buddha called her to him and talked to her. <clears throat> By the potency of his gentleness, she regained presence of mind and crouched on the earth. A man threw her his outer robe, and she, wearing it, drew close to the Buddha, so she was naked or something in, in, in a terrible way, and worshipping at his feet, told him her story and begged for his help. Pretty clear sense of <clears throat> case of uh, requesting service. 
the Buddha spoke to her words of consolation, making her realize the inevitableness of death. He then taught her the truth, or the Dhamma, meaning the path. When he finished speaking, she became a Sotapanna. Boom. Extreme entry. And asked for ordination. She realized uh, she was able to break through the first three fetters, uh, which are, again, what is the mark of uh, first-level awakening Sotapanna, which is first... Um, <clears throat> I don't know how they would write it, but um, the view, uh, attachment to views of self is broken. The sense of self as a permanent, eternal entity in the body, out of the body, away from the body, both in and out. Some basic attachment to uh, wrong views of identity fell away, as well as attachment to ritual rites and rituals, meaning she kind of realized that um, mind transformation is key and religious performance doesn't necessarily do mind transformation. And then the third fetter um, is uh, no more doubt in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. So then she got that, boom, asked for ordination, her request was granted, and one day, while washing her feet, she noticed how the water trickled, sometimes only to a short distance, sometimes further, and she pondered, even so do mortals die, either in childhood, in middle age, or in old age, like the water trickling at different, to different distances. The Buddha sent her a ray of glory, a ray of light, and appeared before her, magically, as speaking and confirming her thoughts. Yes, yes, because... This is probably where her mind was, um, you know, even after Sotapanna. Um, blockages remain, of course. A long portion of the path remains, although it's inevitably succeeded. Um, she was still very much pondering the profound losses that she had experienced. Uh, and so Gautama appears magically reading her thoughts, just like Nityananda did sometimes. When he had finished speaking... Patakara won Arahanship. Boom. She later became a great teacher, and many women, stricken with grief, dot, 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 meaning I think she... The, the, I'm not exactly sure what the source of this is, but it's not fully uh, put forth on the page here. But she presumably became a teacher helping many others in the community, women and men, I imagine, who were stricken with grief at the loss of a loved one. And... Um, it's a poignant story, obviously, and um, it's about as painful as one can imagine. And uh, she became an arhan. So there's no sexism here. <laughs> Gautama uh, could feel great love and compassion for her. There's no sexism here. Um, so she became a great teacher and was muchly appreciated by Gautama for that. It's just that Gautama didn't want to found an order of nuns uh, for various reasons. And, yeah, sure, Thailand culture, Burma, Sri Lanka, every nation's culture has some misogynistic elements that crept into Buddhism. Yeah, of course. That's all. But don't say that people who think that Buddhism is misogynistic, don't, they know very little, generally. Now, Patakara, or Pancha Sata Patakara, Patakara's 500 students, the last link I sent you there. 
Um, very interesting. And so this is her recounting the Buddha's words. And what we'll see is, as we've seen before, some of the copy and paste style of the uh, Pali Canon uh, suttas that were memorized for a few hundred years before being put down to palm leaf um, in right written form, where there are stock phrases and uh, portions of teaching or, or Buddha Dhamma in different ways or exchanges between beings that appear exactly verbatim in multiple suttas. Fine. <clears throat> because that doesn't matter. <laughs> what matters is the heart of the teaching, not its form, right? The, the, the substance or the essence, not the style. So, Patakara's 500 students, Patakara, Patachara, recounts the Buddha's words. Quote, and we'll see this back when we go back to Arrow Sutta. You don't know the path of his coming or going, that being who has come from where? The one you lament as my son. <clears throat> this is from Sala Sutta. And uh, she's repeating what he said to the man who was in deep grief for seven days. You don't know the path of his coming or going. That being who has come from where? The one you lament as my son. But when you know the path of his coming or going, you don't grieve after him, for that is the nature of beings. Unasked, he came from there. Without permission, he went from here, coming from where? And having stayed a few days, meaning the Incarnation. And coming one way from here, he goes yet another from there, coming back here. Dying in the human form, he will go wandering on. As he came, so he has gone. So what is there to lament? And that was the end of Gautama's quote from, I think it's mainly from Sala Sutta. And she concludes, pulling out, completely out, the arrow so hard to see embedded in my heart. He, Gautama, expelled from me, overcome with grief, the grief over my son. Today, with arrow removed, without hunger, entirely unbound to the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, I go for refuge to the sage. That was, so she's actually <clears throat> recounting Gautama's teaching to her at the time of her attaining Sotapanna, and then asking for ordination, uh, entry to Tri Ratna, Triple Jewel, Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, going for refuge, which is basically the first step uh, to becoming a monastic. And so that's her story. And again, um, uh, it's interesting to see many things, but one is also how quickly someone can attain Sotapanna or Arahan, meaning the end of the path, by um, as a trigger, as a response to um, the speaking, the, the preaching of Buddha Dhamma. This is really true. And... <clears throat> some some other commentators have addressed this. It's very it's kind of an esoteric point. I think that the um, Tara, the the Sri Lankan of PureDhamma.net did that. Uh, hearing Buddha Dhamma from someone who has Sotapanna and above, and much more so, of course, hearing Buddha Dhamma meaning truth, universal truth, uh, from a Buddha, <laughs> uh, 
uh, has a metaphysical power that is not the same from one who's not yet a Sotapanna. And I believe that's absolutely correct. One who is a Sotapanna and beyond has seen, has had a glimpse of, of, of Nibban, of the deathless, of the birthless, of unbinding, had, a, had an experience of unbinding, and has a, a clear sense that all these thoughts about self are illusory, and there isn't a substantial self that all these thoughts refer to. And therefore, talking about me, me, me is vain and empty and unneeded, and one remains without it. And um, the, the catalytic power, the metaphysical power of the speech of those who've had awakening. I mean, we, we can see that in all traditions, you know, Advaita Vedanta and yogis or sages from other traditions too may well have had various awakenings or contact with intelligent infinity. Absolutely. So, uh, very quickly, because she had, I mean, she obviously was a soul who did a lot of spiritual work in past lives, and therefore uh, was ready for attainment, karmically, and programmed, you can say, for herself, from another view of program catalyst, uh, a lifetime in which she would have the most uh, unimaginable or the, the unimaginable personal loss experience, losing her husband, then both her young children, then her parents and her brother. And that's it. And having all that ripped away or um, the, the physical loss uh, as a shattering of lower triad blockage and um, and as potential catalyst for contact with intelligent infinity or a full root to crown pranic circuit right when we talk about you know the flow of energy whether the the, the yoga system works whether we're talking Buddhism or not um, the seven chakras are and um, that Gautama doesn't speak of them, you know, is fine. But this uh, circuit, uh, root crown, and contact with intelligent infinity, as we Ra would say, uh, realization of the deathless was triggered by the twin catalysts of um, maximal personal loss of loved ones and um, the the teaching of Gautama. And so, uh, this is very deep and important. Now, when we get to Sala Sutta, let's see where the time is good, uh, you'll see this was again preached or spoken to a man who'd lost his son, who I believe was in the charnel ground or the burial site. That wasn't burial, it was, you know, letting bodies decompose at this point that was a tradition and that became a tradition in Tibet traditionally they would uh, cut up deceased bodies corpses and let the vultures eat them as an act of uh, compassion I guess to the to the birds and a massive teaching on impermanence but you know the teaching of impermanence is not all that Gautama is offering here he's really saying Beings come from somewhere and go back to there. And 
therefore, if you know that, you can know that he, my loved one has returned from whence he or she came. And you better be honest first and acknowledge you don't know if there's a path of his coming or going. You may think, I mean, we don't know, or some don't know, um, that there is afterlife or time space. Most don't know. And um, this is not, you know, as an aside, this is not uh, counsel for counseling the grieving because most people um, need to go through that. It's just like we talked about, in, you know, in the last hour. People need to go through their grieving, um, and generally they're not interested in metaphysical view at that point. They may be requesting later. There may be an opening for us to drop seeds of truth um, carefully and gently without pushing anything. Uh, and yet, I think that the... I mean, I, I think it's extremely important, as an aside to the aside... For in in the offering of any kind of spiritual teaching or just sharing our view, to explain to people, uh, or at least be aware, they should know that they don't know. <laughs> don't you think that you know? And I can't prove what I'm saying either. So we can't prove it. Forget proof. But you should know that you don't know. And you might want to consider that some people know, even though you don't know. Lots of people at this time believe that since I don't know, no one can know. This is not true at all. <laughs> some people know um, everything. Not I, but some people know everything that is to be known. That's extremely few, <laughs> of course. But lots of people do know more than other people. And um, there's a connection between emotional disturbance and ignorance. Yeah. The more, uh, the, the, the deeper and broader one's true view of reality and of self and of other, the nature of others, their psychodynamics or character, the nature of self, our psychodynamics, our strengths and weaknesses and our complexes and our balance and imbalance. So the more we know others, the more we know self. The more we know world, the more we know path or life or birth and death. The less emotional disturbance we will live with, actually. In many ways, emotionalism is a byproduct of uh, ignorance or lack of understanding of vidya, pure vidya, secondary vidya, lack of comprehension, lack of understanding. And, you know, uh, without, without wisdom, my people perish, somewhere in the Bible. It's said something like that. Uh, so it's, it's, it is important, <laughs> if someone wants to know, to make sure they know um, that knowing is possible. And I don't know everything either. But here's what I believe is true. And I believe I know it's true. And then some people with experience can say, I know it's true. I don't just believe it, I know. And other people who don't want to hear that will say, you're fooling yourself or you're, you're a psycho or not, not, not case. And we can say, God bless you too. <laughs> um, and leave them alone. But the the it's very interesting <clears throat> that Gautama first decrystallizes the unrecognized presumption that the father, seven days grieving, starving, 
didn't acknowledge, he didn't know indeed that it was not extinction of his son. His son is not extinguished. His son goes on. You don't know the path, how he came, and you actually don't know that he didn't go anywhere. You don't know the path of his going, meaning you don't know that there is a path. You presume there is no path because you don't know. Don't presume. This is a big problem. <laughs> Much argumentation comes from unrecognized presumption, assumption. As Tony Randall said in The Odd Couple, when you assume, you make an ass of you and me. And that's true. Um, and so there's uh, huge unrecognized presumption and assumption in lots of argumentative people's um, process. And um, profound emotional disturbance is, is to some degree healed or helped by knowledge and understanding. And the deeper the understanding and the knowing, the less emotional um, triggerability in general there'll be. Because where is that? That second chakra blockage. Second, third chakra blockages uh, are, are resolved um, very much by fourth and fifth and sixth chakra development. So develop the higher and unblock the lower. Um, commit or re reaffirm love, acceptance, kindness, and wisdom, discernment, knowing, fourth and ray, fourth ray, fifth ray, and thereby uh, go the path of healing and balance. So the first thing he says to the father is, you don't know, and uh, you should know that you don't know, and I know, <laughs> is what he said. Yeah, I know. You don't know where he came, you don't know where he's going. The one you lament is, quote, my son, even Tanasaro, excellent, excellent, I think, to put in, in sort of quotation marks, I don't know, they're not exactly a single quotation mark, my son. Meaning, you presume he's your son, but he's actually a being that was only temporarily in the role, in the position of your son. Uh, people wonder, you know, will I, will I be with my loved one on the other side? Well, may well be. I want to be with him and her forever. Well, that's very unlikely. <laughs> actually, extremely unlikely. Even if you're from the same group, meaning wanderer group in sixth density as an example. Uh, it's extremely unlikely you'll be with that soul forever. But in the light or in higher dimensions, you won't grieve it. Actually, you might uh, feel joy. And there may be some, and, and there will be some loss, too. But it won't be the lamentation and grief from ignorance. And therefore, it won't be lamentation and grief that gets to the point of self-harming. Point. And that's the point. Meaning, uh, grieving and lamentation, while extremely healthy and very useful, actually, to a certain point, um, beyond that point, based on ignorance, in fact, we can even say that the greater the ignorance, the greater the likelihood or non-comprehension of birth and death, the greater the likelihood that one's lamentation and grief and sorrow and sadness will go to the further point of self-harming, where it doesn't have to go. And so the, the next stanza, uh, Gautama explains the value of the knowing. So number one, you don't know it, and you better know, you ought to know, you don't know. That he indeed came from somewhere and went somewhere. You don't know the path, and you don't know where um, where he came, where it was, or the point of origin and the destination. So there is a path of coming and going, and there is a, 
an origin and a destination, and you don't know it, and you consider him your son because you don't know how souls transmigrate. Then, Gautama says, um, when there's knowing, when you know the path of his coming or going, you don't grieve after him, and I would say you don't, your grieving won't get to self-destructive a point, difference of degree, difference of kind, extreme degree of sorrow, grieving, uh, becoming harmful. You won't get to that point. You don't grieve after him, for that's the nature of beings, meaning it's the nature of uh, our experience here that beings come and go. Then, uh, there's the impersonality of um, the impersonality of those with who, those in our personal lives. <laughs> what does it mean? The 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 impersonal nature of personal relationships, the universality, or the um, radical autonomy, I'd say, of personal relationships and personal friend person personal relations. Personal relations, we say, my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, my son, my daughter, my uncle, my aunt. But actually, that's a temporary appellation, or that's an appellation for, based on a temporary um, relational, um, relational um, configuration. You didn't ask him to come, or maybe at the higher self level we can say you did. But again, you know, Gotama's not playing on that level. He's not working on conscious mind, subconscious all the time. Many times, this, uh, you know, in, in the mind of the people 2,500 years ago, uh, but in general, commonly today, um, uh, address the conscious mind in terms the conscious mind can understand. Don't address the, the conscious mind in terms that only its higher self or deeper mind can comprehend. At least be careful about that. And so, uh, don't presume that the you you're speaking to is self-identified other in, in disharmony with how you're identifying it. <laughs> you know what that means. Meaning, you can say, unasked, he came from there. Meaning, you, as you conceive yourself, Father, didn't consciously ask him to come. Yeah, at the higher self level, you can say, he, you asked him. That may be very harmful to say to somebody when they're not thinking from that level. If they don't have a spiritual sense of self, to address them from the spiritual sense of, uh, from the perspective of spiritual identity may harm, maybe they may not be able to use that. They may actually get more confused or aggressive or defensive or feel attacked or something more distorted by being addressed in a way, in, uh, in accord with how we see their spiritual identity or true identity, when they don't conceive themselves that way. So don't be arrogant and talk to people in ways they can't understand. It's a very important point, actually. Pushing ourselves upon people is not helpful. This is teaching, and people can take it and reject it. Totally different than personal counseling or personal sh sharing. I can push and you can leave. <laughs> or you can say, oh, he pushes too hard sometimes. Fine. Put that aside as my distortion. Um, and take what's true and useful. And then you can realize that my distortions are not a problem, really, actually. Because <laughs> I don't want to bother you. 
and I'm happy if you feel bothered that you leave. If the problem is people who feel bothered and complain. They think that's goodly. Not many, very few. But there are people in this world who don't leave and just want to stay and complain. <laughs> that's called a troublemaker. So from your conscious level, you didn't ask him to come. Um, without your conscious permission, indeed, he left. He went from here. And so Gautama is addressing him at the conscious mind level, which is rightful. He went from here, coming from where? So you don't know where he came from, and Gautama's basically, in a subtle way, saying there is multidimensionality. Of course, there are 31 planes in Buddhism. Well understood, multidimensionality. So, from another dimension, the being uh, departed and arrived here. In this dimensionality, he departed and returned, or went somewhere else. Having stayed a few days, meaning it's very much like that. It's a, such a finger snap in eternity, the length of a single human incarnation. And then, going one way from here, he goes yet another way, coming back from there. So, he came from there and arrived here. He left here and went back there. And he will go back here from there again. And at the higher level, yes, you knew all about it. But in the way you conceive yourself, no, you didn't. And I'm not going to talk to you beyond how you would like to think about yourself or how you're ready, at least. And so one, it's a sensitive matter. Dying in the human form, he will go wandering on. Wandering on doesn't mean a hungry ghost wandering in this case, I think. It means uh, transmigration. As he came, so he has gone. So what is there to lament? Well, what there is to lament is the loss of a deeply emotionally fulfilling relationship with, with someone I love who loves me in this dimension, at this time, in this incarnation. That's there to lament. And that rightfully is given time to grieve. And that's true. And, and uh, that's Dhammic, I'd say. And so, again, uh, spiritual bypassing is not recommended. And there is something to lament, actually. Uh, there was a story of Marpa, Marpa the translator, Tibetan, of the Kagyu, Karma Kagyu lineage. I believe Trungpa talked about this story. Um, Marpa lost his son. And, uh, you know, this is Vajrayana, <laughs> extended Mahayana period, probably uh, 2,000 years after Gautama, maybe 500 years ago or something, Marpa or a few hundred. And his son died on a, on a horse or something. And Marpa was grieving heavily, um, inconsolable and, and deeply grieving. And something, this is not an exact... Um, accounting, but uh, something like the students asked Marpa, Marpa, you teacher, you say that, that life is an illusion and all form and phenomena are illusory. That's the way my honests talk. Uh, and Marpa said something like, yes, I do, it is true, but this is something like a super illusion or this is a massive illusion. I, I can't imagine he said super illusion, but something like a massive maha, like <laughs> mahamaya. All is maya, yes, but this is a mahamaya, meaning this impacts me strongly. Uh, I loved him, he loved me. And even though I know he is a soul that goes to another dimension and he'll be all right and we'll meet again, or 
I go out of body and meet him. Um, the loss in this world for me personally uh, brings forth this great pain and agony. Uh, I don't know if it's agony, but, but certainly agonized grieving. Uh, and that's that. And that's, a very, I think, a very mature view. Um, yes, the metaphysical is true. Uh, and I have this emotional process, and I respect it, and I'm not going to squelch it, and it too shall pass. So there is something to lament, but one should not harm oneself. Uh, going down, um, pulling out, completely out, the arrow so hard to see. This is actually, where am I? Um, I think I went from, oh, it looks like I... Uh, went back and forth a bit. Um, this is still, we're still in uh, uh, Patakara's um, Panchasatta Patakara Sutta. Uh, again, accounting, recounting Gautama's words. Uh, coming one way, going the other way, uh, as if there's nothing to lament, but there is. And so let me... Um, without my massive confusion here, go back to uh, Sala Sutta. It's interesting. Had a uh, <laughs> merging of the two suttas because half of the Patakara Sutta is Gautama. So, Pala Asala Sutta, and you'll see some of the same phrases, um, and um, we can see the, the greater context from that other sutta or that other terigata. So Sala Sutta, translated by Tanasaro, without sign unknown, the life here of mortals, difficult, short, tied up with dukkha. For there's no way by which those who are born will not die. Beings are subject to death even when they attain old age. Like ripe fruits, whose downfall, whose danger is falling, so for mortals, once born, the constant danger is death. As clay vessels made by a potter all end up broken, so too life heads to death. Young and old, wise and foolish, all come under the sway of death. All have death as their end. For those overcome by death, gone to the other world, Father cannot shelter son, nor relatives a relative. See, even while relatives are looking on, wailing heavily, mortals are one by one led away like cows to the slaughter. In this way is the world afflicted with aging and death. And so the enlightened don't grieve, knowing the way of the world. And this is the... the same as in Pachakara's Sutta or Gata. You don't know the path of his coming or going. Seeing neither end, you lament in vain. End quote. If, by lamenting, confused, harming yourself, any use could be gained, the prudent would do it as well. But not by grief, well, not by weeping and grief do you gain peace of awareness. Pain arises all the more. Your body is harmed. You grow thin, pale, harming yourself by yourself. Not in that way are the dead protected. Lamentations in vain. 
not abandoning grief, a person suffers all the more pain. Bewailing one whose time is done, you fall under the sway of grief. Look at others going along, people arriving in line with their actions, falling under the sway of death, beings simply shivering here. For however they imagine it, it always turns out other than that. That's the type of their separation. See the way of the world. Even if a person lives a century or more, he's parted from his community of relatives. He abandons his life right here. So, having heard the Arahan subduing lamentation, seeing the dead one whose time is done, think, I can't fetch him back. Just as one would put out a burning refuge with water, so does the enlightened one, discerning, skillful, and wise, blow away any arisen grief, like the wind, a bit of cotton fluff. Seeking your own happiness, you should pull out your own arrow, your own lamentation, longing, and sorrow. With arrow pulled out, independent, attaining peace of awareness, all grief transcended, griefless, you are unbound. Very beautiful there. This um, is one of the, I think, Parita Suttas, the sort of blessing-related suttas. We did one of them a long time ago, um, spoken as, uh, like Mangala Sutta was one of them, um, recited on certain occasions in the Buddhist community of the monks to the lay people, or monks to each other, or at someone's death, or various important uh, milestones in the human life. So this is one of those associated with death. Uh, uh, very, um, there are some alternate translations of certain verses. Uh, Saro put down on the bottom of the page here. Uh, so, having heard the Arahan, subdue lamentation, seeing the dead one whose time is done, and thinking, I can't fetch him back. So, in some ways, this is um, working on the emotional by way of the intellectual. Um, it it sometimes is very helpful, and for some people it's and for some people it sometimes or for everyone sometimes it's not helpful. And so, somebody who's in the midst of grieving for any loss to say you can't get it back um, is very unskillful uh, until they get to a certain point, and um, one can observe it if one has a very careful eye that. There's a point after at which the normal subsidence, subsiding, diminishment, declining, lessening of the pain of the grief occurs. At that point, the person either lets it subside further or they rev it back up again. Uh, revving back up by thought, of course, self-pity, hopelessness, powerlessness, self-blame, world blame, uh, some kind of mental um, add-on um, ramps up yet again the diminishing emotional charge. They recharge emotionally by way of certain thought. 
and one can perceive that, that's when certain guidance is useful. Uh, if that doesn't happen, there will be a normal subsidence, declining diminishment of the emotional charge. And so at the right time, it may be useful to, to think or speak to one. Um, you can't, you, you know, it's water under the bridge. Uh, you can't get it back. He's gone. At a certain time, that's helpful. At another time, it's not. Other lines later that are have alternate translation, uh, which is footnote four here, just as one would put out a burning refuge with water, so does the enlightened one, discerning, skillful and wise, blow away any arisen grief, his own lamentation, longing and sorrow, like the wind, a bit of cotton fluff. Seeking your own happiness, you should pull out your own arrow. And so again, um, in, in, in overall, of course, um, all the dukkha we experience is made by us, co-created with others, or co-created with others that we brought into our life, or simply self-generated by ways of thinking or behavior, right? Go to sleep at 3.30 a.m., night after night after night, you will get sick physically. You did it to yourself. It's not punishment for past life. It's not even punishment for, for going to sleep at, at 3 a.m. It's not punishment at all. It's called cause and effect. And so sometimes the dukkha of body comes from unwise choices um, in behavior, of course. And in all cases, um, we are the authors of our experience. We fashion experience. And so um, it's just that uh, allowing the experience, the, the rushing forth of inevitable triggered emotional charge uh, in a loving, caring way for oneself is healthy. And then at a certain point, amping it back up again by way of um, distorted thought and belief is harmful. And that's crossing the line. And so... <clears throat> Take out your own arrow doesn't mean suppress natural grieving. It means uh, don't, don't amp it up again with distorted thought and don't uh, hurt yourself in any way. So crying is helpful, but forcing yourself to keep crying is not. And listening to a certain song ten times over uh, crying may be wonderful but listening to it 50 times because you want to get down to the roots and I want to get it all out, that may be harmful. <clears throat> and so it's very subtle here. And so Gautama's view, I mean, in many ways, Buddhism is, is focused on the great work, the great matter of birth and death. This is the heart of Buddha Dhamma, the, mo the motivation for the entirety of Buddhism is uh, addressing the great matter of birth and death and the great work of freeing ourselves from dukkha and uh, unending or, or <laughs> long-drawn-out transmigration, reincarnation. That's, that's the heart of Buddhism, as far as I can see. Gautama saw the four sights before he left the palace as a prince. The four sights, I think, were um, an old man, a sick man, a dead man, and a monk. 
a wanderer of another sect. So, an old man, a sick man, a dead man, a corpse, and a monk. And so he saw, oh, will I become like that too? Old, sickly, dead meat corpse, and um, is that the way of all life for us? And um, those, his attendants said, yes, indeed. You know, Master Prince Gautama, uh, Prince Siddhartha, uh, that's the way it goes. And he said, wow, that's terrible. <laughs> and how about that last guy who looks so noble and so tranquil and serene, Samatha, who's so well? How about him? Well, he's one who chose to leave family and society and seek salvation from this painful cycle. And Gautama, young Prince Siddhartha, thought, yes, i got to do that because I don't want to be old, sickly, and dead corpse like that. And that's um, the beginning of Buddhism. <laughs> and um, that's... Uh, so Buddhism, in many ways, is working away from Dukkha, while Advaita Vedanta, to some extent, is sort of drawing near to bliss. In, in a way... Uh, Gautama, the, the Buddha, Buddhism was has been, continues to be criticized as pessimistic for its focus upon dukkha. All life is dukkha. Yeah, right. But dukkha doesn't mean pain and suffering only. It means stress or stressfulness. And deep uh, analysis will reveal that's true. All fashioned experience <laughs> is uh, stressful. And Advaita Vedanta at best, or commonly, could be seen as um, um, attracting, um, pulling towards bliss. So, so Buddhism, as departing dukkha, and from the basis of dukkha, uh, moving out and seeking freedom. And Advaita Vedanta, from the basis of eternity bliss, seeking to join that, moksha, mukti. So, um, one uh, uh, moves away from a negative and the other one uh, uh, leads towards a positive. It's the same path, <laughs> of course. And Buddhism is very much focused on here to there. And Advaita Vedanta is in many ways focused on uh, going there, <laughs> uh, getting there, the nature of, of where we're going. Um, the 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 benefits of the goal come, you know, ehi bhikkhu, uh, ehi yogi, and Gautama's really saying, this is a burning house, you better get out. So, but they're very compatible, and obviously it's the same path of seven chakra transformation. Same cosmology of octavic multidimensionality and progression by reincarnation, of course. So the life of mortals is difficult, it's short, it's tied up with dukkha, very true. Yeah, it's not only that. But it is that too. Just to say, you know, if I say the sky is blue, it doesn't mean the mountains are not green. I'm just saying the sky is blue. It doesn't mean the sky tonight will be black when there's no sun. And so, yeah, <laughs> learn to accept truth and build from there rather than consider that uh, an alternate truth negates the first thing that you heard. For there's no way those who are born won't die, so every whatever arises passes away. That's the law. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're old or not. Uh, and there is 
certainly more so even in their day, but still today, um, in the background of consciousness awareness that we will get at, we will leave this world. And the more we're attached here, the harder it is to leave. And the more one is attached to anything, the more grievous the loss. And yet, uh, death is inevitable. Like clay vessels all end up broken. <laughs> Everything that's created will end up being broken down. And don't matter who you are, how you are, all come under the sway, all end in death. For now. And so, <clears throat> and you can't protect people from that. And that's, uh, some people have a real problem with that, too. That's another, that's sort of working on the level of supposed ego. Rage, raged father, against the dying of the light. I'll do everything I can to keep my parents alive as long as possible. And that's a demonstration of my power. And that I couldn't demonstrates my weakness and I fall into a depression. Some humans get to that. It's not useful. And so, um, whether you wail or not, they come and go. Uh, whether we um, accept or not, it happens. It's inevitable. The enlightened don't grieve because they know the way of the world. And again, that's the linkage between um, yana, or knowing, or gnosis, or understanding, or wisdom, fifth ray activation, in blue ray development, uh, being associated with freedom from lower triad blockage. Boom. There's less emotional triggering coming from lower triad blockage when there's greater green-blue indigo activation. And therefore, <laughs> emotional charging, emotional triggering um, diminishes. Uh, and again, then, then there's the line that started, that Pat, uh, Patakara used from here. Maybe he's using it from there, or <laughs> she's using it from here. You don't know the path. You don't see, um, you don't see how it ends. And therefore, your excessive grieving, which could be called lamentation or getting to the point of um, desolation, uh, agony, your agony is in vain. So grieving and lamenting can be healthy, but agony, agonizingly grief, grievous, grievous agonizing is in vain and harmful. If you hurt yourself, <laughs> um, if there was any use to what you were doing, we would do it too, <laughs> he said. The prudent would do it as well. But you don't um, buy that agonized grieving. You won't gain peace of awareness. And that's a beautiful phrase, the peace of awareness. And so <clears throat> by um, acceptance, we may come to greater wisdom, knowing, discernment, 4-5. By expanded uh, awareness and um, spiritualized mind, we, we go to uh, the peace of awareness. And that's very much of 6 ray or 654 the peace of awareness. And so um, you're hurting yourself more. And so that's the point. It's gone beyond a healthy release into a harmful habit. And that doesn't help anybody. <laughs> you're not protecting the dead. You're not helping him who's gone. Uh, and you suffer more. And therefore you're making more pain. Falling under the sway of grief or agony. 
And so, <clears throat> um, this is the way of the world. Separation is the way of this incarnation. We're born alone, we die alone, we come alone, we leave alone. But <laughs> there's community uh, where we're from and where we're going. There's community here, there was community before, there'll be community after. Okay? You're not isolated uh, spirits floating in the atmosphere. It's not like that. <clears throat> See the way of the world. And so, no matter how long you live, we leave this community here. He abandons his life right here in this dimension. And so, the wise, or as we know more and more, the simple point is we have a different view of death. And because we have a different view of life, because we wish to know, because we don't want to remain in the pain of confusion. If you admit the pain of confusion, you probably will have a catalyst for resolving that pain by knowing and moving out of confusion. In the knowing, there's less pain. Um, meanwhile, uh, you know, teacher Marpa said this was a Mahamaya. I think I'll use that. I'm not sure what the Tibetan was. This is akin to a Mahamaya. And so if you have great misery, pain, feel, and let it be. Uh, this too shall pass. Um, just don't let it get to self-harming, because that there's no benefit to anyone. And so, um, in, in and in the end, uh, in, in some ways you can actually say that the teaching on death here is a microcosm of Gautama's entirety of Buddha Dhamma teaching on existence or reincarnation, which is multiple dyings. You know? Now there's a great value to creation and experience and illusion, no doubt. And that's another matter. There's a great value. I mean, the Logos didn't create the octave so that beings would hate it and run away from it to leave and go out of it. <laughs> okay, I know that. So, there, there is a, a great um, value to an illusory, uh, nearly infinite tapestry of light and color. Yes. Um, but um, particularly for those who get to... You see, that really... <laughs> I mean, the teachings of Arahan and Nibban are really only for people in, in sixth density, <laughs> to be honest. Most people who um, are not finished with the dimensional progression or near the end of dimensional progression just are not interested in getting out of the continued dimensional progression. And there is value to the logos of dimensional progression slowly. Um, all things desire, you know, experience all things desired without harming, which is inevitable, they'll be harmed. Uh, so it's a very more subtle gestalt. But as, as a, a microcosm of the whole of Buddha Dhamma, the whole of Buddha Dhamma is about pulling out our own arrow, pulling out the arrows that have pierced us, particularly, obviously, out of craving and clinging and how, we, how our thought, word, and deed is harmful to self and other. Uh, and um, with the, the more arrows pulled out, the more peace of awareness we experience, the more grief 
never will return or is transcendent. And in the end, at the end of the, the way, coming unbinding, there's the full ending of grief, of course. And so, it's a, it's a beautiful sutta, I think, and um, very important uh, root teaching. So that'll be it for today. Next time, we look at uh, Vasetta Sutta, and uh, Tadasara wrote, is one worthy of respect because of one's birth or because of one's actions? It's back to that, addressing Vasetta, or the Brahmins, who were very concerned with uh, <laughs> birth. You know, don't ask me about birth. Uh, Sabia asked me about conduct. Um, people are really committed some people are really attached to issues of birth rather than conduct and uh, transformation the inner work and um, it is very true that focus on the outer brings us down focus on the inner which is mind spirit body mind spirit right so the outer is of the uh, social collective social complex and groupings and the physical world and the body. Uh, excessive focus there brings us down into lower triad blockage. The way that's in and up, or the way of a focus on mind and spirit transformation, or transformation of mind by way of wise spiritualization, wise spiritualizing of mind, is the way that's in and up and leads to higher chakra activations and freedom from lower triad blockage. So don't go down and out, come here in and go up, which doesn't exclude the, the, the down. It just is in and all, or in and um, multidirectional. And so I don't think Buddhism is pessimistic at all, um, but it's very nicely um, supplemented or complemented by the um, different focus, the, the more bhakti focus of Advaita Vedanta in Hinduism in general, and um, the very impersonal, universal uh, perspective of the raw material, which is very much non-human. So, <laughs> with all that said, yes, it's time to go. So, uh, please take good care of yourselves. That's always important. And see you next time. And good night.